welcome to Slumber Party Cinema Club, a podcast for the movies that you've seen a thousand times and the silly and serious conversations they start. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm your other host, Katie. And we are so excited to bring you another rendition of Club Chat today. We talked about all the different movies we could discuss I think that uh, Katie and I just have Barbie on the brain right now. So <laughs> as oh, much as so uh, I, I was thinking about some movies that we could talk about, maybe we'll get them to, to them today. But if you haven't been paying attention, there is a ton of news coming out of the movie industry right now. Uh, we now officially have the first writers and actors co-joined strike going on since 1960. Yeah. And um I just learned that Fran Drescher is the president of SAG-AFTRA. I had no idea. I think we all just learned that Fran Drescher is the president of (laughs) SAG-AFTRA. It was really funny, though. Uh, We were watching something on TikTok this morning, and it was uh, someone had posted a clip from the movie The Beautician and the Beast, and this isn't going to make any sense to probably anyone because I'm the only person that's ever watched that movie. (laughs) There's a scene in it where she starts like unionizing the factory workers in this little Czechoslovakia country that she's in. And people were saying like, this is Fran Drescher becoming the union, the SAG-AFTRA president. How she did it. Yeah, how how it all started. So one of my favorite things that I've read this week, re-act or writer-actor strike, uh, was Bob Iger who is CEO of Disney basically telling people to just like, don't be poor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Talking about how they don't have money to pay their writers as he's speaking to a billionaire conference. Yeah. And as someone who I believe I read makes like $22 million a year, which uh, poor baby, that's a salary cut. But like, we really need to like switch to video for these podcasts because my face is just like, <laughs> um yeah to put in the context uh unfortunately he did take a loss when he sold his 18 million dollar home in new york uh but don't worry the 19 million dollar home he has down south is perfectly fine yeah and it's like how many homes does he have total and meanwhile they're gonna try to uh, uh pretty much outlast the writers um i think one exec it wasn't Iger, but it was another exec who said that they were going to uh make them strike until they start losing their apartments Which just the fact that they talked about losing their apartments tells you what they already know about the situation of writer's income. It's literal mustache twirling villainy going on. Mm -hmm. It's insane. I absolutely support WGA and, you know, the whole strike together. It does make me nervous for what we might lose out on in terms of shows because I remember pretty clearly the strike back in 2006 and that kind of fucked with a lot of shows and like their seasons and how some shows that were on cable television had like shorter seasons so like storylines weren't as fleshed out some shows ended up getting canceled altogether Um, oh poor one out for uh, pushing daisies oh yeah that's exactly the one i was going to say was pushing daisies i I, you know i i do worry i was just talking to a coworker about this today i do worry a little bit about that but what i how i look at and for network sure um and there are a handful of really good shows on network um that i i watch or at least know people who do watch ghosts on cbs being one that's the only one i can think of that i watch that's a network program but (laughs) uh it's a very different world than it was in 2006 which is the reason we're having a strike honestly Mm -hmm. because the industry is so streaming focused 
So right. even if Mark doesn't run it, they've got Paramount Plus, right? Um, or Peacock, if you're talking about NBC. And so we're looking at a time where in 2006, everyone was aware of the writer's strike because their shows weren't on. Mm-hmm. And now we, are in, we have such a bundle of stuff to watch. Like I could go and watch pretty much any show I want to. And it doesn't really like if no one released television for a year, we still would not run out of things to watch because there are just so many shows out there that have been introduced over the past few years because of streaming. Very true. And so unfortunately, I think that means that the public is not as... You know, like, I think that if you're in the know, you're definitely on top of the strike information. But like, I I think that it's like the public's not as aware or doesn't care as much about how long the strike goes on, which is good in the favor of the writers because people will, you know, tend to be like, oh, no, they should be getting paid. But I think it's also, you know, it means that it means that there's not going to be the pressure on the, the production teams or the, or the production um, production executives to ensure that they end the strike in time to bring back any of those network shows. Yeah, I agree with that. And like, also, I think that's why it's such a big deal that, you know, the actors union have, has joined in in the strike because that I think brings more, you know, publicity to it when you have recognizable actor names, you know, that are like, hey, this is fucked up. <laughs> yeah, when you, when um, you have the entire cast of Oppenheimer leave a premiere mm-hmm. because the strike has started. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's good that there is a solidarity because for every Robert Downey Jr., there's 80 actors who are just barely squeaking by on being, you know, club patron number two in a movie, right? Um, and are making minimum wage because it's streaming and they're not going to make that much money. I read a really interesting story about Orange is the New Black, how the majority of the cast at the height of that show's popularity, the majority of the cast wasn't making enough money to quit their day jobs. So the actress Diane Guerrero was working at a um, restaurant where patrons would recognize her because she was in LA. They'd be like, oh my gosh, I've been watching on Netflix. You're amazing in that show. And the follow-up question would be, why are you working here? Because they were not paying any of the the key actors really, except for a few of them, enough for them to be able to move on from what they were doing, waiting tables, doing other jobs, doing whatever they were doing to keep afloat. And so Mm -hmm. that really, even if you think about that, it feels like forever ago that that show was on. Um, and popular, but it wasn't that long ago. And that's really, it should have been the temperature taker for what was going to happen in a few years when the streaming bubble completely exploded. Because apart from House of Cards, Netflix had Orange is the New Black, and that's really when the streaming shows came into their own. Yeah, like that and like Stranger Things. But even Stranger Uh Things was a little bit later. How Orange is the New Black, I remember being on, I think I watched the first season from my studio apartment. No, I watched it when I was still living with my parents. That's how long it's been on. <laughs> you judge time the same way I do, where you're like, okay, wait, where was I living? Where was because I watching this is it? What- <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, that's like a, to bring it to like a newer story, you know, people have talked about like some of the writers of The Bear on FX amazing successful show just got nominated for a bunch of Emmys and one of the writers talked about how like what was it last year at the Emmys when he was attending he was like he had zero dollars in his checking account I don't know so uh, you know I would assume that and I I think you know even 
like anybody would, uh, that someone working in Hollywood, you know, is making more money than I am on a a successful television show. Mm -hmm. You got to imagine the scale, right? I mean, the fact that these are people that are writing things that millions of people are exposed to. Yeah, there should definitely be, you know, the the compensation should reflect that, right? Um, Right. And um, I just want to add in, like, studios and studio executives are making fucking bank off of what off the art that you know these writers are creating or you know these actors these production crew members are you know working on and putting out and you know pouring their heart and soul into it's like yeah Bob Iger made 22 million dollars because of like all the creative people that work underneath him so I mean Mm -hmm. To be frank about it, to put it in simple terms, it's like, and I say, do you? So I'm asking you, the listener, the universe, whomever, do you think it's fair that someone sitting at the top of the pyramid makes all the money off the people who, you know, are doing all the work and while they're getting paid, you know, beans? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember. So unfortunately, he's fallen for grace quite a bit because he had a terrible knack for sexually harassing uh, women. But um, there was a CEO for a long time who was known as the humane CEO named Dan Price. And his whole thing Mm -hmm. was the fact that he took a pay cut so that no one in his organization made less than $70,000. And it it's, he was all over LinkedIn with it. And the majority of people who are in the workforce are like, yeah, that's how it should be done. This is where salary transparency comes into to point quite a bit. This is why like you and I both support an organization called Women Employed. Um, mm-hmm. And one of their biggest, one of their things, one of the many things that they do to try to move us forward into pay equity is salary transparency. This is like the key to equity and diversity and inclusion, quite honestly, is salary transparency. And what we used to see, there's this little like grocery store chain that once existed called Whole Foods. They had perfect salary transparency. (laughs) Anyone in the company, whether you're a cashier or an executive, could go online and find out how much your coworker made by name. And it was the key. It was the silver bullet for making sure there's pay equity or at least some pay fairness. Um, and then Jeff Bezos bought it, but Whole Foods made a name for itself. I remember when I was a journalist covering uh, HR and workplace uh, benefits and talent economy, the big thing was Whole Foods is doing everything right. Zappos was also doing everything right. And guess what? Amazon bought them too. And unfortunately, I don't want to say that if you do everything right, Jay Bezos is going to buy you and gut you. But unfortunately, we've seen that happen where even these small organizations that are doing the right thing by their workers, when that big paycheck comes out, when that big giant of a conglomerate comes around and says, we want to buy you, for some reason, they just either roll over or they can't say no. <laughs> Fuck you, Amazon. I know I've been seeing so uh, so many like, "fuck you, Amazon." Uh, posts recently because it was just prime day and oh yeah act- i and did not participate whatsoever in prime day i didn't either but honestly it was more because i was just broke <laughs> than- <Yeah. laughs> um however i i've been seeing so many like uh please don't participate in prime day 
please don't support Amazon posts from like the publishing side of things. Cause like, you know, I'm pretty active on bookstagram. I follow like pretty much all of the indie bookshops in Chicago and they're all like, please, please, please do not buy books from Amazon. Please shop local. You know, is the two day shipping really worth it? Like they can only afford to like give you super cheap books because they're taking a loss on it and that's fine. For them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the thing that sucks for me is because it's like, okay, I'm a self-published author and I rely on Amazon because that's where my customer base is. Like people buying eBooks and stuff. Um, yeah. So like I've been yeah, we trying don't to completely say fuck Amazon because there are, there is that, that benefit. And also if you are someone who lives in a rural area who can't get certain things in your area, mm-hmm. it's a great tool. If you are a trans kid whose parents don't get you, you can buy a binder off Amazon pretty easily. There, there's a lot of benefits to Amazon. It's just, yeah, there's there's the evil side of it too. Yeah, it, it's, it's another like a very complicated thing. Moving on a little bit, unless you have anything else you wanted to add in. Well, I do want to point out though, that during the strike, especially when it comes to filmmaking, there's still creativity out there, right? So this right now, when a strike like this happens, it means that independent, independent filmmaking can flourish, which makes me very excited because while all those actors are no longer, and this is really interesting going into Emmy season, right? Part of the strike is that actors can't even talk about what they've worked on. So Mm -hmm. they will not be doing four-year consideration panels. They will not be doing interviews about the show that they're up for an Emmy for. It's going to be a very strange Emmy season because we will be, there will now be be no Hollywood roundtables, which is my my Achilles heel. I love those. Um, I'm real bummed about that, but like um, you will see that there's there's very little promo going on for any project for the next couple of months as the strike goes on. Um, But in the quiet is when independent film thrives. And so things like A24, which is technically an independent entertainment company, it's not owned by anyone. And in looking at just this is the Wikipedia, granted, granted it's Wikipedia. (laughs) It has this reputation of just being very much about the artist as opposed to the money it brings in. And they're well known for the fact that they are not trying to make a ton of money at the top. They're looking to fund projects. And so when a movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once comes out and makes $141 million, which is the most any A24 movie has ever made, uh, followed by Hereditary and then Lady Bird, by the way, um, in case you're curious, uh, when that money comes in, it means that they throw that money right back into projects. And so I'm very excited to see what happens as we get more independent films that start blossoming in this period of time where actors will not be signing on to major studio productions. Writers will not be working on major studio productions. Yeah. And I'd like to point out those are three movies led by females. You want to know the rest of them? We can always cut this. Yeah. Okay. So one is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Two is Hereditary. Three is Lady Bird. Four is Moonlight. Five is The Whale. Hated that movie. Uh, (laughs) Six is Uncut Joms. Seven is Midsommar. Uh, Eight is The Vich. Nine is Ex Machina and 10 is Room. Yeah. And that that's like, there are a lot of like Oscar movies on there too. So I mean. Yeah. And everything, 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 everywhere all at once was the uh, big winner this past year at the Oscars. Uh, if I didn't mention that a million times before. Um, but they also have also branched out into television. They did, uh, they do Euphoria. 
Um, and they also, I didn't realize this, they do at home with Amy Sedaris. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. There's never been an A24 movie that I've seen that I haven't enjoyed, but the one that I still have not seen that I want to see is, um, it's the one about the text message story that came from Twitter. Oh, um, Zola. Zola, I yes. loved Zola because I remember when that Twitter thread was popular. Yeah. I, yeah, I read the original Twitter thread like way back in the day. I still want to see the movie. And I remember, I don't know if it's still there, but I still kind of want to get it on the A24 merch store. There was like this really cool book, uh, format of all the t- original tweets. Um, oh, and, the like, hardbound the, book. Yes. Yeah. And all yeah. the, like the text formatting is really cool. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, and I did, I did watch the movie. Um, I, I bought into the A24 screening room that they were having in 2021. Oh and yeah. I remember that. It was, it was, it was about two years to the date of when we're like recording this. Um, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic movie. I loved it so much. Yeah. I still need to see that. All the performances um, were on key. Riley Keough should have gotten more attention for her role in that than she did for Daisy Jones. She's up for a couple Emmys, I guess, or one Emmy. <laughs> but yeah, uh, just a really awesome movie. And yeah, like, A24 is the kind of like company that says, oh, you want to make a movie based on a Twitter thread? Sure. And it looked so good. I mean, the trailers were just like, but yeah, anyways. <laughs> but no, uh, my moving on was, so I did want to like gossip slash celebrity news a little bit more and talk about the Jonah Hill and Sarah Brady bullshit that's going so on. I am totally out of the loop on this. I, because I got rid of my Twitter. So I am completely out of the loop apart from just some text messages that are pretty awful. Like the screenshot hit the, the internet. So please explain what happened. <laughs> yeah. So if you've seen the text message screenshots, you've pretty much seen the bulk of the story essentially like it was a couple years ago that they were dating and he essentially was trying to weaponize his therapy to control what he claims Sarah could and could not do because of his quote under quote unquote boundaries um things like and she's like a professional surfer she teaches surfing classes she's also a model and stuff and he was basically saying like you can't surf with men you can't post pictures of yourself in a bikini you can't uh pose in bikinis you can't model you can't hang out with like these certain people because they're terrible and they don't have their lives together and it was just like it was incredibly controlling and manipulative he kept claiming like these are my boundaries that i'm setting and it's like no the boundaries dude, are for yourself darling not what other people can do with their own lives right like one of um someone i follow on tiktok was going on about it and they were like a boundary isn't telling someone like oh you can't post pictures of yourself in bikinis on instagram because i'm insecure and, you know, seeing people make comments or interact with those things makes me feel, you know, uncomfortable. It's like a boundary would be either like, don't follow your significant other on Instagram or, you know, mm-hmm. block them or, you know, mute them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like not telling them that they can't do something. 
So yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty shitty. Yeah. And it puts into question, like, remember he did that entire Netflix series about his relationship with his therapist. So it makes mm-hmm. me really want to know, like, was this something he was concocting himself or was it he, was it the fact he just had a terrible therapist? Yeah. I mean, you never know. And also people can lie to their therapists. So, you know, oh, yeah. well, and, and people can misconstrue what their therapist tells them too. There, there's right. interesting. I remember when that came out and thinking, eh, I don't really want to watch that. I wasn't in therapy at the time. Um, <laughs> and then uh, in the Oct- during October, and maybe we'll, this will take us back to the conversation earlier, but um, in October, we have the Chicago International Film Festival. And one of the movies I got to see early was Senior, which is Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, documentary about his father, Robert Downey Sr. And throughout the movie, you know, if you know what where it was going. And I remember hearing RDJ do an interview about making the movie and how it was very therapeutic to work out some of his issues because a lot of his issues stem from his dad because he was grown, he grew up in the world of Hollywood and underground Hollywood at that, that Mm -hmm this was sort of therapy on its own making this movie and there are full scenes of rdj on his therapy calls where they don't i don't think they show the face of his therapist but they show him having the conversation with his therapist over like zoom about all of the things he's working out while handling this with his dad and for me like seeing someone else's therapy session that's not written in a script, like on Shrinking, which I love. And that show got not enough love from the Emmys. Um, but Shrinking, like, it's very scripted. And most shows, if there's therapy, it's scripted. Um, yeah. This was a very unscripted. They were recording it for the documentary, but it was a very natural thing. And what I enjoyed about that was, like, watching how he takes what his therapist says. Because he's dealing with the fact his dad's about to die. Mm-hmm. And he knows that. And maybe there's a whole session of therapy that comes with, letting the entire world if they want to watch your therapy session <laughs> um yeah but it it seemed so much to it seemed to fit so much better into the story they were trying to tell rather than jonah hill coming out and being like i'm gonna do an entire series about my relationship with my therapist <laughs> that that also makes me think about like jeanette mccurdy's book like i'm glad my mom died more or less shared like all of her trauma with uh yeah with everyone (laughs) well and how Uh, she's come come to grips with it she did a great interview with um trevor noah on the daily show where she mm -hmm. pretty much said you know i have to come to terms with the fact that my relationship with my mom is very different than the hallmark expectation of your relationship with your mom she's like and that's okay yeah not everyone's uh the gilmore girls yeah yeah, I I don't think like I'm open about, you know, being in therapy and doing therapy. I don't think I'm so open that I would invite my my friends and family let alone, you know, strangers and people who potentially just hate me to hate me into my world <laughs> into my therapy session. Yeah, and don't have anyone hate watch your therapy session. That seems really yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, there's there's definitely people out there that, like, just hate Robert Downey Jr. and are going to watch this and be like, oh, what a motherfucker or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And if you do, then you maybe need therapy because that's two hours of a black and white film about two people that you don't like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for real. 
Um, so should we talk about some good stuff? Some stuff we're excited about? I think we should. Well, okay. So it, it does feel kind of like, I don't know. Cause we're in, we are in solidarity with the writers and with the actors. We're also still very excited for the projects that are in the can and finished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, and some that are still in work, but we want them to hold off as long as possible to get the writers and actors a fair deal. But, um, no, for, for me, I mean, we've got the Barbie movie coming out at the end of this week and also Christopher Nolan's new movie Oppenheimer. And I am a Nolan girl to the bitter end, even though he can't write women and his last movie sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but I'm also, surprisingly I had no I I had no idea I would be such a Barbie girl at age 32 (laughs) oh hell yeah same though I it's it's something that I apparently was laying dormant within me and has been reawakened I don't know what what happened I maybe it's all of the like historical stuff I have gotten so interested in the architectural digest coverage of this I watched the full (laughs) thing about how they made the set of the movie which already 100% 100% in it's nostalgia on crack it's amazing yeah. um, but then also they did a whole breakdown of the Barbie dream house and I didn't for some reason I got so caught up in the second wave feminism feeling of Barbie is giving us unrealistic expectations for appearance that mm-hmm. I never really thought deeply about what Barbie meant when she first came out in the fact that her first dream house doesn't have a kitchen Oh, interesting. So the dream house that they released in the 1960s is very, it's covered in clear evidence that Barbie went to college. She has a closet. She has a sitting area to entertain in. She has a bedroom, but there is no kitchen because there was never an expectation for Barbie to be a mom. Very interesting. I, it, it seems like Barbie has been a thing where it's like, her feminism has grown as like the collective world's feminism has grown. It has shifted. Say that right. I mean, Bob, like Barbie will always be about how can we sell our toys? Oh yeah. It's the beacon of commercialism, right? 1990s dream house, pale pink, sparkly, massive, had multiple versions of windows because that's what we were seeing in the mega mansions that were being built at that time fit in with what was what should be Barbie's dream to own um but even the the dream house of today is very much more more modern more sleek and again it's this they've drawn the focus back into Barbie is a career woman who has a boyfriend who's like an accessory and all Mm -hmm. the younger dolls are her sisters not her daughters speaking of that if you look up like Barbie characters on Wikipedia, you can fall down a hell of a rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. I was like reading through like all the different characters, like from, you know, like all the different sisters when they were introduced, like the different friends, like their storylines between like the cartoons and this and that. And yeah, you can spend a lot of time getting all that lore straight. Yeah, last Did weekend, you- my friend Hannah was in town last weekend, and she does listen. So, hey, Hannah. Um, but Hannah was in town last weekend, and we were hanging out, and it was just kind of quiet. And she was like, wait a minute, you've never seen Barbie in the Dreamhouse? It's like, no. She's like, there's a show on Netflix. You need to watch this. I think we blasted through half of it, um, which <laughs> is very tongue-in-cheek and slightly designed for adults. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Um, but yeah, like I think it was like Barbie Life in the Dream House is what it's called. And she was like, if Ryan Gosling didn't watch this to prep for playing Ken, I would be very surprised because Ken is just a lovable buffoon. He's guy, he's a total himbo. He's a total himbo. Did you play with Barbies a lot when you were a kid? Oh yeah. Yeah, I had Same. so I got a lot of my Barbies as hand-me-downs from a family friend whose daughter was pretty much done with them when I got there. Mm-hmm. So I had a Barbie dream house that would came for free. Um, I don't think my parents would have ever bought me one, but I had a Barbie dream house that was a hand-me-down that had an elevator. Ooh. The elevator did not attach to the side of the house. So it was like a pulley system, which means that we started <laughs> like dubbing it. My parents thought it was hilarious because like it was like the Tower of Terror for Barbie because <laughs> the <laughs> elevator would just swing free on the side of the house. I had a Barbie house. I don't know if it was like the dream house or if it was just a house or like a knockoff, but I definitely had one. Um, I, my favorite Barbie to play with was actually not a Barbie. It was in a Disney doll that was fit to the same mold and it was Jasmine. Oh yeah. I had the Jasmine doll. Yeah. So I had her and what was funny was there is a website and maybe we can post this on our socials, but there is a website that is every single Barbie made. Oh, and it's fascinating rolling through. I don't, don't know how I got it. I think it was a family friend that gave it to us, but the top selling doll in like 1997 was dentist Barbie. And I had it. I don't, there's no one in my family that is a dentist. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. I don't think I had dentist Barbie. I didn't have a lot of Barbies, but I loved buying all the like accessories and stuff. The clothing was a huge, I remember one Christmas getting to me, it was as big as the wall in the living room, but it wasn't um, <laughs> a huge, a huge flat thing of Barbie fashions. And I think at that point, my parents were like, no more Barbie clothes, <laughs> no more Barbie clothes. I had a couple like Barbie cars. Like, Ooh. I remember I definitely had a Mustang. I think it was a Mustang. And then I had like another pink glittery car. And I want to say I had like a Barbie RV. The Barbie RV was the thing. See, I'm trying to remember because I feel like it was either a Mustang or a Ferrari. I feel like I remember it having like horse on it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just remembered uh, this. Uh, speaking of rabbit holes and Barbies, um, have you ever seen like on Instagram people who have accounts with essentially their Barbie dolls, but they make them into like different characters and essentially take pictures of the Barbies it's almost like a comic book like a photo series comic book where it's like the Barbies are different characters and they write storylines for them and they just like post these like pictures of them in these different like scenes and situations do you have any idea what I'm talking about uh, the only thing that comes close is like, I, I think in college or maybe high school, the big thing on YouTube was vid- like videos of Barbies. That oh like yeah. Uh, at each other in the bathroom. Yeah. It was called the most popular girls in school. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. No, 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 no. This is like totally I mean, I was not popular enough to remember the name of this, but <laughs> I just remember. Cause I remember it was all over Tumblr. Oh and yeah. So that's how I saw it. No, this is something totally different. And I will have to try to find it on Instagram and send it to you later because I found this like four or five years ago, I think. And 
like so it was like somebody had made characters from their Barbies and basically had this whole soap opera going on and it wasn't like the characters weren't named like Barbie and Ken or whatever they had like totally different names um and I remember when I picked up reading it like they had just killed off like the main love interest and so I'm like reading like back and forth and then I see a part it's it's a total soap opera like there's a part where like the the main Barbie like lost her memory and forgot who she was I was like, this is so weird, but at the same time, so cool and creative. I don't know. <laughs> Did you ever play the Barbie Nintendo games? No, no. I did. My first PC game ever was Barbie Fashion Designer. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> Where you could, like, they came with a special paper. You could print the design out and it would be like a, a paper, like a pattern to like, cut and fold the dress and in actual like put it on your barbie <laughs> yeah i yeah i played i had one of the barbie super nintendo games and we actually kyle and i looked that up on youtube uh not too long ago because i was like oh my god you have to see it and somebody did like filmed their whole playthrough and it literally only took them 15 minutes to get through the whole game <laughs> um <laughs> which i was like man it seems like so much longer when you're a kid um the other like a couple of weird Barbie things I had is I had one of those, like, it was just, you know, the bust where you just did like the hair and the makeup. Mm -hmm. I had one of those. And then I had much to my horror, <laughs> one of the, my size Barbies. I was going to say just with the bust one. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, this, if you haven't, then this is new to you. Uh, Katie hates dolls. Um, yes. Has a terrible phobia of them when it comes to movies and pop culture. And so, yeah, to me, it's very, just the, the bust where you can do the hair and makeup is already surprising, but a full, my size, how did you deal with that? Okay. Well, here's the thing. Number one, regular Barbies did not like bother my doll phobia like my doll phobia was mostly like baby dolls or like porcelain dolls or madam alexander dolls stuff like that yeah. um so i was totally fine with like playing with my barbies all the time the bust sort of the same thing like didn't quite hit the phobia the my size barbie however i think the fact that it was like the same height as me you know it just, and I got it as a gift. I think my aunt got it for me. Um, cause she was like my cool aunt. She didn't have any kids. So she always got me like really bitch in presents, um, mm -hmm. for Christmas and birthday. And I'm pretty sure she got it for me. Um, so it's like, it's not like, and it's not like my family knew that I was scared of dolls. Um, right. Literally, I, my mom didn't know until like I don't know, maybe like ten years ago when I finally told her about it, and she brought up the my size Barbie. She was like, "You played with it all the time, but you would never, you know, let it sleep in your room at night, you know, sleep, quote unquote." Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I played with it all the time, so it wouldn't get mad at me and kill me in my sleep." This is what oh my, my child thought of. I I was terrified of that little toy. Yeah, all my all my Barbies are gone now. I think actually, well, the only ones I still have that aren't technically Barbies, they're just dolls, but they're Barbie style dolls are these two gone with the wind. I have a Scarlett O'Hara and a Rhett Butler. 
Oh, I remember the Gone with the Wind. Which one? Do you, which Scarlet do you have? The wedding dress one. Oh, okay. Which I'm like, I and I think I got those as a gift from like it was a birthday gift from like one of my friend's parents like obviously picked that out the Mm -hmm. the little boy didn't pick that out (laughs) but and I was like so young I had never seen Gone with the Wind I had no idea no I was like I don't know seven eight something like that well, and maybe uh, this is telling us to what my personality turned into or what my interest turned into, because I remember when those dolls were out and I remember really, or seeing the dolls. I don't know if it was when they were first released, but I remember seeing the dolls and desperately wanting the one with the red dress with the um, feather stole. Oh yeah. Which is like Scarlet at her slinkiest, sluttiest, which is fabulous. Uh- <laughs> yeah, that's like after like she gets caught with like Ashley and they all think that like, Ooh, they're having an affair. And mm-hmm. Red Butler is like, Oh, you're going to this party tonight and you're going to look like a slut while you do it. Yep. 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 Okay. So uh, maybe we should move out of the Barbie scope pretty much. Katie and I are very <laughs> excited for this movie. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, to move out of the Barbie thing, we can go to gone with the wind because uh, it's got lots of issues. It really does is a glorification of slavery. It's awful. But there are also so many things I love about that movie. I think it's I think it's an important movie because I think it like for people who didn't grow up in the south, I think it's a good like hey, when people are like, "Oh man, I miss the old days. I miss the south." like da 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 da. Like watch that movie and that's what they miss because they they totally just like blue screen when it comes to like how slavery was terrible they always picture like well not everyone was terrible to their slaves and like you know there was mammy and uh you know these people like in gone with the wind who enjoyed their families that they worked for it's like did they (laughs) oh i remember in fifth grade fifth grade our teacher decided well how can i teach civil war to these kids and she decided to show it or antebellum or not antebellum um how can we show post civil war to these kids at age 10? Cause she was pretty much teaching social studies and history as let's just talk about every war we've been in. Um, sure. So she was like, how do we talk about what happened after the civil war? Cause there's lots of questions that are left open by that. Um, and she decided to show us uh, gone with the wind. And I do remember there was a kid who asked, but why did the slaves stay if they were free? And her response was because the O'Hara's were so nice to them, they decided they wanted to stay. Yeah. Which is such a myth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't like, I don't know. I can't like say that maybe there is a non-zero chance that you know, some did not stay with families that were maybe kind to them, but like, I, I don't know. I can't imagine it. I, well, here's the thing. It's, it's such under duress as we know, right. And it all happened very much like, well, you could leave, but where are you going to go? Maybe there's a handful of answers to this, but do you remember a summer where there was a movie coming out that you just could not wait for? 
I mean, in the past, I've always been really excited for Marvel movies. Um, when I guess this is kind of summer, Star Wars movies used to come out like around Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they switched it up with the newer trilogy where they started putting them out uh in December around Christmas time. And I was really pissed because I was like, I I always should be able to go see a Star Wars movie on my birthday. Um, but yeah, I know like a couple, like I was really excited for Mad Max Fury Road when that came out. Um, I was really excited for Pacific Rim. Yeah, those are kind of the big ones that I think those really big franchisee nerdy movies. I also like, I'm not a huge I've never been a person that's like, oh, I have to go to uh, see a movie in the theater. Like, I am perfectly content to watch a movie in my house where I can, like, recline and relax, um, potentially be on my phone. <laughs> mm. What about, like, when the Harry Potter movies are coming out? I I was late to the Harry Potter game. I didn't start reading Harry Potter until I was, like, 21, Mm, okay. I, I think the first one I got to see, the first movie I got to see in theaters was Order of the Phoenix. Um, that was the first one I got to see in the theaters after like reading the books. And then I did midnight showing of uh Half-Blood Prince and then midnight showing of the last two, I think I did. Mm. That's one thing I missed though. Um midnight shows. Of like big ticket movies coming out. Yeah, well, you got a, a, a quote unquote lone wolf uh, shooter to blame for that one. True. I did go see. I was that the, the was that the end of Midnight Showings? I was seeing Dark Knight Rises the night that that happened. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Dark Knight Rises. I think that was that was definitely the last Midnight Show I went to, um, except for a midnight screening of Mad Max Music Box. Cause they do midnight showings all the time, but um, yeah, right. big release at midnight dark night rises, unfortunately was the one that ended up because of a mass shooting in Colorado. Um, but also, yeah, that was, I think that was, that was definitely the last midnight show for a new release I ever went to. Yeah. Cause I did like the midnight shows for the last few Harry Potters. I did midnight shows for dark night and dark night rises. I did it for twilights. <laughs> I did it for Avengers. The first one. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then the when Iron Man 3 came out, it was right before graduation for college for me. And it was the spring after um, Dark Knight Rises. So they mm-hmm. we were all expecting, we were all planning on going to a midnight show. And it became clear that the movie theaters in my college time were not doing midnight shows for it. But they were doing 9 p.m. Thursday screenings. Oh. So we all jumped on getting... And actually, in my adult age, I'd much rather see a movie at nine than midnight. See, um, I do remember things switching over to where you could get that early, that that early, late yeah. show on yeah. Thursday. Which was great because, I mean, like, yeah, for me especially, I've got, so I've got Barbie tickets for 10, 20 p.m. on the Saturday of that weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a special pajama party screaming, screening. I figure there will be less little kids there to ask their moms what jokes mean. It'll be great. Um, I but know. The- I 
I saw that pajama thing like just yesterday and I was like, man, I wish I had known this was doing what this was. And keep checking. You never know when they'll put tickets up. You never know who cancels at the last minute or something. I'm going 10, 20 p.m. Saturday. So let me know if you, you can go. But um, yeah, so I remember in junior or senior year, um, it was me. It was just before graduation. And one of our good friends, Charles Minshew, um, who was graduating with his, his master's degree he was in our group to go see Iron Man at 9 p.m. because I had to write a review for the magazine that night. So mm-hmm. I had to see the movie, write the review, get it booked before Friday night movie screens. And this is another reason why not doing the next show is nice because as a journalist trying to review a movie without a press pass to an earlier screening, 9 p.m. on Thursday is a great time to go. Unless, of course, one of your friends has recently found out he's won the Pulitzer Prize before even graduating with his master's degree. Oh my and God. You're supposed you you go partying and drink way too many margaritas. That is so cool. I feel like I remember you mentioning that story before. I it might have been on the pot or it might have just been, you know, out and about. Um, that is really cool though. It was it it was a bittersweet night, honestly, because the reason he won it, ironically, was mm-hmm. because he was interning with the Denver Post when the shooting in Aurora happened. So he mm. won the Pulitzer because he was on the team that was supporting, that was covering the mass shooting at the Dark Knight Rises Midnight Show. Yeah. Um, so ironically, the night that he finds out he's won this thing, he's going to a 9 p.m. screening of the next big superhero film, Marvel, Grant, not DC. Um, and so <laughs> unfortunately, I showed up, like all the friends I ever made in college were at this screening. I roll in completely happy off of margaritas and tacos and Charles's great success. And uh, I had to go home afterwards and write a review and thank God Vox shut down that portion of their website. Cause I don't want to know what I wrote. <laughs> I see the thing I miss about the midnight screening not necessarily being out at midnight. Cause Lord knows I probably couldn't do that anymore, but it's the, being in line with like all the other fans mm-hmm. and it feels like a little mini like you know comic-con or something like that where it's like there are people cosplaying like everyone has like special shirts on or something it's just like a very it's a a fun fan time that I do mm-hmm. kind of miss a little bit there's a camaraderie to it yeah yeah and I mean, the craziest time I ever had going to an early movie was going to see The Dark Knight and we had to go to Orlando because I was living at home then and no one, none of the theaters around us were doing anything like that. And the place we went to in Orlando, midnight showing was sold out, 3 a.m. showing was sold out. We got in at 6 a.m. Um and because, you know, it was at a time before assigned seating, we mm-hmm. got there at midnight to wait six hours so we could get like primo seats for the 6 a.m. show. And so did you? Yeah, we did. We were like oh, <laughs> center. Yeah. Um, we were all tired as hell. And like, it also sucked too, because, you know, we watched two rounds of like moviegoers come out of the theater and like just be really excited and then we were also like carefully plugging our ears too in case anyone decided to be a dick and spoil but but well 
I think we're at about time. I think you're right. Um, we hope that we kept you uh, riveted this entire time talking about midnight showings and the writer's strike and our Barbie collections when we were kids um, and all the other anecdotes we shared. We like doing these club chats. It's just a nice way for Katie and I to catch up and learn more about each other. But, you know, if you have a different feeling, uh, please be kind, but be honest and uh, let us know. You can reach us at SP Cinema Club on Twitter and on Instagram. We post by our episodes there. We also post little additives. So I'm sure Katie will post the uh, Barbie accounts that she's been following on Instagram. Um, and uh, yeah, we will be back next week with another episode. Uh, not sure what we'll talk about. Maybe hint to Barbie a little bit because it'll be that time. Um, but we may also just decide to do a completely unrelated movie that uh, you will still love. Yeah, who knows? It'll be a surprise to everyone. But yes, thanks for listening. Please follow us. Please rate and review a podcast. It helps other people find us. And don't forget to invite your friends to the slumber party. And until then, have a great summer. Hags. What? Oh, have a great summer. K-I-T. Keep in touch. (laughs) (laughs) Hackers have a kick-ass summer. (laughs) TTYL, guys. (laughs) Bye.